So we're going to dig into the, the word together today. Um, we're we're kind of focusing, zeroing in on the Christmas story. But this time around, I'm wanting us to consider it. You know, Steve kind of kicked us off last week, if you were here for that message. Powerful, powerful message. But really, I want us to think about the Christmas story in the eyes of the angels. In the eyes of the angels. When, when you think of angels, what do you know about angels? If you were to fill in the sentence, angels are what? fast. What? Helpers. Helpers. Awesome. What else? What do we know about angels? They're bright. They're Always there, okay. Always praising. Messengers, awesome. They're strong, yeah, 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 yeah. What else? Protecting. Angels are protecting, yeah. This is good. Anything else comes to mind with angels? Singing, yeah. Awesome, awesome. Good segue, good segue. You know, um, if we, as we consider the birth of Christ, I want us to think about the angels and what they saw when they saw Jesus born as a baby. Um, Earlier this week, I had a little glimpse of my past, uh, just kind of a flashback to my past, not just because my sister flew out from North Carolina, but because there was one day when Jaden was sitting on the couch, and he had uh, mommy's computer open to, he was doing some, some kid activities and stuff on the computer, and Jacob was sitting nearby, Jacob was looking, Jacob is uh, our two-year-old. I don't know if you know our kids, but anyways, Jaden is our five-year-old. And, and Jacob, the two-year-old, was kind of sitting nearby and just like, ooh, ah, you know, <laughs> that, that kind of thing. Jaden was intent on, on his, um, I don't even know what the activity was. was anyways, uh, but it just kind of flashbacked a memory in my mind of times when I would watch my older brother. Um, there were certain things that my older brother could do that I couldn't do, especially when it came to the original Nintendo set. I don't know if you, you remember those days, but uh, yeah, man, um, there were things that he could do that I was just ooing and aahing over, and every time he sat down to do that, I was there, ready to watch it too. There were other things as well. I mean, skateboarding was one of those. I was, I was more into rollerblading back in the day, but skateboarding, like standing on a board and just realizing that I could slip and fall anytime, I'll let him do that. And so I would ooh and ah when he did all these skate skateboarding tricks and things like that. But it was, just, it was a flashback to my past, but I, I wonder if, when we're thinking about angels, I wonder if there's an element of, of that ooing and aahing that angels have going on. When you think throughout scripture and you see angels throughout scripture, there are glimpses where the angels ooh and ah over what God is doing around them. Have you noticed that? We're going to take a look uh, just over the next few minutes together at four different scenes, four different scenes in which the angels are watching God at work, okay? So let's, let's just walk through this together. We'll start in Job, actually. Job isn't necessarily at the beginning of the Bible, but there are certain elements in Job that really flash back to the beginnings. Job is a little less than halfway through the Bible, right before the book of Psalms. Or maybe you call it Job. Is that more recognizable? Job? Okay, no. Job chapter 38. We're going to Job chapter 38, and we're going to take a look at the first of four scenes in the eyes of the angels. And before we read, let's, let's pray together. <clears throat> Father in heaven, as we dig into your word today, we want to see you in the eyes of the angels. Lord, we want to see your glory. We want to see your character. And we're asking that as we look at these, uh, these scriptures together, that it would be more than just ink on paper, but that it would be uh, an opportunity to encounter the living God 
through his living word. Please, Holy Spirit, speak to us. Each one of us comes from different experiences throughout this week, this month, this year. And as we come to this scripture, I pray that you would speak exactly what we need to to hear. Thank you that you're able to do that through your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Let the family say, Amen. Amen. So here we are, Job chapter 38. We're going to begin in verse 4. If you are there, go ahead and say, I found it. All right. Job 38, verse 4. I'm reading from the New King James Bible. The New King James begins like this. In verse 4, it says, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? And if you're familiar with the story of Job, Job has been asking questions all throughout uh, this book. You know, actually, maybe his friends have been asking more questions. Um, But here, by the time you get to Job 38, God is now addressing Job. And he says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? He's taking him back to creation, okay? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? I mean, just let your mind imagine all these things that God is bringing up and the visual imagery of, of God just setting up camp, so to speak. I don't know if you have that, those memories of setting up a family camp or whatever. Um, you, you drive out to the mountains, you set up your camp, you choose your spot, you set up your tent and things like that. And that's just the imagery. Hey, who, who, who is there to determine where, where things would stop, where the ocean would stop, where the mountains would rise to its height and things like that? That was God. That was God. And then in verse 7, verse 7, It says, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God did what? Shouted for joy. Does anybody else have a different version there? Maybe the New International? Uh, I think it's the New International version that says that the angels were singing. Something like that. Yeah. When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So yeah, these angels are musical. Yeah, they sing. And you know what else? They shout. They shout. They're not just... Jesus loves... No, 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 no. It's like, Jesus loves... You know, they're, they're at the top of their lungs, and especially at this moment, when they're seeing God and His creative power, they are in awe. They're watching, and they can't help but sing about it. <laughs> they're watching, and they see God do something that they've never seen before. They, they, it never even entered into their imagination, and they just shout for joy. And when these angels are in awe, is it just his creative power, his, his, his flexing of his, his, uh, his muscles, so to speak, that they are in awe of? I think there's something more. That I think that they are in awe of his creative grace. Do you hear what I said? His creative grace. Why would I say creative grace? I mean, you think about it from the angels' perspective. The angels saw God willing to create free moral agents even though a third of those free, other free moral agents in his, in his universe had actually chosen to rebel. And, and, and these angels are saying, well, God didn't just clam up. He didn't just put himself in a corner and say, I'm all done, you know, creating creatures who have the possibility of loving me and yet the risk of rejecting me. I'm all done. No, the angels saw God actually exercising his power to share love even more, even if it cost him something. The angels are singing because, wow, yes, God can create something out of nothing, but I think the angels are singing also because they see God's creative grace. God is at it again. His love just can't hold back. 
He is responding. He is, he's creating creatures who can respond in voluntary love. So this is, this is scene number one where we see angels shouting, excuse me, shouting for joy because of God's creative grace. Let's go to another verse. You're in Job. Go to Psalm 24. Psalm 24. Psalm 24 is in the next book over. If you find it before I do, go ahead and say, I got it. Oh, man. Tricky, tricky, tricky. All right. Psalm 24. We're going to begin in verse 7, I believe. Psalm 24. The Bible says this. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates, lift up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. It's a powerful song of praise. But you're like, you're kind of scanning this. Hey, I thought we were talking about angels. Where are the angels in this story? The angels aren't mentioned specifically in this story. But there is something that I read recently in a book called Desire of Ages. And it talks about that when Jesus, um, when he resurrected and when he ascended to heaven, Jesus was met by these praises at the gates of heaven. And I just wanted to share this quote with you really quick. It's, uh, I think I have it here. It's uh, from Desire of Ages, page 833. It says this. All heaven, I mean, think about this. They had just, you know, they had missed their commander, you know, for 33 years. They've been watching him, protecting him, serving him um, in his life journey here on earth. And it says, all heaven was waiting to welcome the Savior to the celestial courts. The heavenly host, with shouts and acclamations of praise and celestial song, attended the joyous train. As they drew near to the city of God, the challenge is given by the escorting angels. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the king of what? I love that. The king of glory shall come in. So these questions are being asked back and forth. Who is this king of glory? It's not like they don't know. It's not like after 33 years of of missing him there in heaven, they had forgotten. Who is this? No, no, no. It's just because they love to hear about Jesus. Yeah? The angels are saying this back and forth. Who is this king of glory? The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. And they are in awe because they see their commander having gone to Calvary, having gone through the tomb, and they see not just creative grace, but in this this case, it's saving grace. They see that Jesus is willing to give even his own existence for the sake of you and I. This is powerful. The angels are watching Jesus every time, like that little brother watching his big brother, ooing and aahing over what God is doing. So at creation, they're ooing and aahing. Wow, creative grace here. At the resurrection and ascension, they're ooing and aahing because, oh, that's saving grace here. Another scene, another scene we're going to in Revelation chapter 19. Revelation, so go with me to the end of the Bible. Revelation 19. I'm just going to breeze through these. Revelation 19, we see another scene, it's kind of fast-forwarding, so to speak, to the end of time. John is given this vision of what things will be like at the culminating act of God's grace. Revelation 19, beginning in verse 4. If you've got it, say amen. Amen. All right. 
The Bible says this, Revelation 19, verse 4. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who sat on the throne saying, Amen. Alleluia. All right, that's a Hebrew word meaning the highest of praise. Hallel. Hallelujah. Hallel means to praise. Verse 5. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thunderings. Oh, this is so powerful. Saying, Alleluia! For the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For what reason? What do you see there in verse 7? For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. Do you know that the Lamb of God has a wife? Who is that wife? It's the church, yeah. You follow the the, the biblical symbolism here uh, from beginning to end. And this is speaking of God's church. His wife has made herself ready. And to her, it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen. It wasn't that that she made her own garments to make herself acceptable for this wedding. It was granted to her, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Here in this scene, we see a a mixed multitude of sorts. A a mixed chorus, a mixed choir singing the hallelujah chorus. This is where the hallelujah chorus comes from, by the way. Hallelujah. Okay. Anyways. And so this is a mixed chorus of both, both uh, uh, human voices and heavenly voices. Because at this culminating act of God's grace, they see a marriage that they have long awaited. And that they wondered if it would ever be possible. They are in awe at this point, you know, at the end of history, at the second coming. I believe that the angels, when they see this act of God, they are in awe of God's transforming grace. They are saying to themselves, wow, we knew that this this was promised. We knew that this was prophesied, but that God would actually be able to so thoroughly transform rebellious humanity to actually become fit for heaven. That is awesome. We've talked about this before where the angels, I'm sure the angels wonder at times, Jesus, are you sure you want to bring them up here? Right? Are you sure that that you want to to infiltrate these harmonious realms of glory with those folks? With that messed up guy? With those people? You know, this this is what the angels have been seeing and watching all along. And yet at the very end, when they see that God has done it, when they see that the marriage of the Lamb has come and that, the, that he has made the bride ready, they can't help but shout and sing, Hallelujah! Hallelujah to the King. They're truly amazed by his grace. Again, like that little brother or like the, the marching band of the college team, the college football team, as, the, as they score a touchdown, they're just giving music, they're giving voice to the creative, saving and transforming acts of God. So let's rewind a bit. We've gone through three different scenes. The, the scene of creation, the scene of resurrection and ascension, and the scene of the, the glorification of humanity. But let's rewind now to where we're kind of thinking this season in terms of the Christmas story. What about the incarnation? Were the angels there too? Were the angels ooing and aahing over what God was up to 
at the incarnation, the, the condescension of Jesus when he himself would come to earth. No doubt, right? No doubt they were watching every move. Their eyes were glued on the king of glory. You know, they, the angels, remember, they've seen God on his throne, right? If you remember visions in Isaiah 6, there are angels who, who are uh, hovering over the throne of God. And these glorious beings, six, uh, six wings each, with, six they, or with two they fly, with two they cover their heads, with two they cover their feet. They just can't even handle being in the presence of God. And so all they say in his presence is, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They are constantly feeling humbled in his presence. And these are unfallen, sinless beings. And yet this act of salvation story, the time of uh, of Jesus being born. It's different than the others. It's different than creation. It's different than the resurrection. It's different than the glorification, the second coming. Its weight and its significance is still felt, I think, by the angels. But unlike the other acts of the plan of salvation, this one is a little more quiet. It comes with a little less fanfare, right? It comes on a silent night, a holy night. You know, it makes me wonder, as I was thinking about the eyes of the angels and what they were seeing in the Christmas story, it makes me wonder just a little bit of how much of the details do you think the angels were actually privy to when all of this was going down? I mean, I'm sure that the angels were well aware that Jesus was going to come to humanity, right? I mean, they had, they had even given prophets the message uh, Angel Gabriel speaking to Daniel, hey, the Messiah would come at this specific time, right? So they, they knew that Jesus was going to come, but did they know how? Do you think they knew how Jesus was going to come? Do you think they knew that the details of the Christmas story that we are well aware of? I mean, remember, angels, they're finite beings too, so they experience things in real time as well. Maybe there were heavenly councils that kind of described and prepped them, hey guys, this is what's going down, so don't be surprised. But at the same time, I wonder... I wonder how much was still left to their imagination. And when they saw it play in real life, they just couldn't help but their jaws would drop. <laughs> and they would just be in awe of who God is. They definitely knew he would come, but did they know how? And so go with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 will be our last scene. As we look at the eyes of the angels. Luke chapter 2. If you're there, go ahead and say, I found it. All right, Luke chapter 2. We're going to go to the first few verses there. When the angels watched this act of the salvation story, what did they see? They saw him come, yes. But they saw him come to us in a certain way that I think was surprising. I'll just read the story. Let's begin in verse, uh, begin in verse 4. <clears throat> Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who is with child. Verse 6. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in what? Swaddling cloths. And laid him where? In a manger. For what reason? Because there was no room for them in the inn. Do you think the angels expected this part of the story? I would, I, I would submit that maybe they were surprised. 
what? The king of glory? The one that we want to open up the everlasting doors to? There was no room for him. And he was born in a manger. When they saw Jesus come, they saw him come unwelcome. They they saw him come unsanitary. They saw him come unprotected. They saw him come vulnerable, tangible, and even passable. When they saw the king of glory, they saw him come in a way they would have never scripted themselves. And as as in the other acts of the plan of salvation, your creation, resurrection, glorification, and all these other acts, they're they're ready to sing, right? They're ready to be to ooh and ah over God's glory. In the same way, even though he came in this kind of humility, I truly believe that they saw even more of the glory of God than, than in those other acts. They've got a song on the tip of their tongues, and it's just right there in the next few verses. Let's read it together. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. They're specific about it. They're specific. This is the sign, the evidence that this is truly of God. Swaddling cloths, manger, king of glory. And suddenly, verse 13, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host doing what? Praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. They've got a song on the tip of their tongues even as they see the king of glory whose former seat was a heavenly throne, a fiery throne, now in a feeding trough. They're still ready to sing of the king's glory. And notice that simple song. We'll just uh, focus on the first, the first stanza of that song and then next week we'll lo- look at the second stanza. Verse 14, glory to God in the highest. Let this sink in just for a moment before we wrap up today. Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God. In other words, direct your praise, direct your adoration, direct everything that you see as glorious. Realize that it is in Him. Not just some of the glory, but all of the glory. Acknowledge His glory to the fullest extent. And it says, glory to God in the highest Meaning, uh, I, I guess this could be uh, seen in two different ways. In the highest, um, in terms of in the highest degree. Give glory to God in the highest degree, in the highest degree possible. Because all glory truly does belong to him. God isn't worthy of just some of our acknowledgement. But all of it, right? Glory to God in the highest. But I think there's also another dynamic specific to the angels. Glory to God in the highest realms. Right? Locationally, geographically. Hey guys, up there, give God the greatest glory that you could possibly give him. Why? Why are they calling glory to God in the highest? Because those in the lowest, in this sinful reality, we just don't get it. <laughs> we just don't see his glory. Think about this. In the eyes of the angels, they can see more of the glory of God than we could possibly imagine. Follow this train of thought with me. 
Lowliness is magnified by gloriousness. If that's a word, I don't know. Maybe I should just say glory. But it rhymes with lowliness. All right? Lowliness is magnified by gloriousness. See this? In their eyes, in the angels' eyes, the lowliness of the king's entrance into our world is actually magnified by the glory that they know him previously with. I don't know if I'm, I'm giving good words to this. Um, their frame of reference, the eyes of the angels, their frame of reference is completely different than yours and mine. Right? They've seen him. They've seen him. And every time they've seen him, they've been humbled in his presence before him. And now they see the one that they're humbled before actually being humble before us. They know his throne. They've felt his majesty. They've been humbled themselves by his glory. And yet now they see him take on a humility that they themselves have never experienced. A lowliness that never even entered their imagination. I don't know how many of you have ever been bungee jumping. It's crossed my mind, but I've never done it. Um, The closest I came to was like this giant slingshot. It was pretty awesome. It felt like the second coming, actually. But, um, But think about this. Bungee jumping, you don't realize. In other words, the higher you jump from, the lower you drop. Right? You don't realize how low you've gone until you see how high you've been. The angels realize how low Jesus is going. Why? Because they've seen how high he's been. This morning, actually, I got a text message from um, a friend of mine in California, a former church member, who shared with me the, the sad news of the passing of her husband. His name was A. Levea, um, spelled E-I. He's from Samoa, A. Levea. He actually had a twin brother whose name was uh, B, <laughs> spelled P-I. That's, anyways, A and B. Um, <clears throat> but A. Levea, when I met him, um, I couldn't help but feel loved. <laughs> he was, I don't know if you know Islanders, but they just know how to love. <laughs> Um, they just know how to embrace you in such a way that it crushes your hand, <laughs> but, but you still feel loved. You still feel loved. And A. Levea was one of those guys. He was, uh, he was one of the elders of the church there, and he was such a hard worker for the Lord. Um, there was something that I learned about him in the few years that I knew him, and uh, it was when he was actually going back to Samoa to visit his homeland. And he was gathering things. He was gathering gifts. He was gathering donations, gifts to give to kids, bikes, toys, things like that. I thought, wow, this is pretty generous of him. What's going on? It turns out that A, who retired from being a warehouse worker for 20 plus years there in California, A is actually the chief of his family's tribe. And every time he goes back to Samoa, he brings back gifts. He makes decisions for the family that no one else can make because he's the chief. He's a person of responsibility, authority. You might even say royalty in a sense. Um, he was the Telei of his family. And I didn't realize this. And when I, <laughs> when, I, when I discovered this about A, and I saw him doing the things around the church that I, I wouldn't really want to, to bother myself with, when I saw him working the way he worked, it made me appreciate even more his humility 
because I understood his royalty. Do you follow that? In the eyes of the angels, they could see more of the lowliness of God because they knew even more the gloriousness of the king. <clears throat> today, I just simply want to ask the question, can you sing with the angels today? Glory to God in the highest. Can you sing that, not just with your lips, but can your heart sing that truly in harmony with the angels? Glory to God in the highest. Today, as we just kind of wrap up, I want us to think about, uh, I guess I want to extend a, a couple of takeaways today. I want to encourage you this Christmas season to ask for the eyes of the angels. (laughs) Ask to be able to see God's glory even more, even more. Maybe you're finding yourself this Christmas distracted, maybe even annoyed by it all. What's all this about? I mean, man, why all the stress? Why all the pressure? Maybe you're finding yourself distracted. That sense of wow and awe is something uh, that's far from you. I want to encourage you to pray for the eyes of the angels. (laughs) Pray to see the God of glory even more. The more we perceive the heights of his glory, the more we'll see the depths he's willing to reach for your salvation and mine. The more the manger will mean to us this Christmas. So go ahead. Be in awe of his grace. What do you think? Are you willing to pray for that? Maybe you're feeling distracted, like you've kind of lost the sense of awe and wonder. Just pray to see from the eyes of the angels the king of glory. Or maybe, maybe it's not so much um, distraction. Maybe you, you're, you're overwhelmed with discouragement or disappointment over the last several weeks or months or this entire year. I don't know. When it comes down to the end of the year, we kind of get reflective and all these things kind of come back. Maybe around holidays, it's, you know, that blue Christmas feel is, is real for you. I want to encourage you to ask again for eyes to see his glory, even when life is messy. Even when life is not fitting perfectly. Even when life smells more like a manger than it does a royal palace. Human eyes could look at the manger and see, oh, this is a mess. It's an embarrassment. It's an epic fail. (laughs) But angels' eyes can look at that manger and say, king of glory. Glory to God in the highest. So look for the glory of God, even in your mess, even in your embarrassment, even in your loss, even in your failures. Today, can your heart sing glory to God in the highest? Are you willing to pray for eyes to see this king of glory? We're going to invite our song team up. and They're going to lead us in another song of, of response and praise about this king of glory. Father in heaven, we recognize today that you are the king of glory. And I um, just want to confess to you the fact that sometimes our, our uh, hearts and minds aren't fully aware. We see your gifts, we see your blessings, we see what you do in our lives. We see the manger, it's a heartwarming story. But do we see your glory? God, I want to pray for eyes to see what the angels saw that night. I want to pray for the eyes to see your glory. Moses requested it long ago. God, show me your glory. 
And we're simply echoing that prayer today. God, please show us your glory. Lord, I'm asking today for those who are going through a season in their life where that glory is fuzzy, that glory is foggy, it's clouded. And I'm asking, God, that you would lift that. And even if that fog remains, that you would give them the capacity to trust, to believe, and to even confess it before they've seen it. Lord, I'm asking that those of us who are experiencing brokenness and loss, who are wondering um, how you're going to piece things together, we're, st- we're confused about things, not quite sure what the next steps are. God, would you please show us your glory even in that? I think sometimes we assume that things have to be all right, all put together in order for us to see your glory. But God, cause us to see your glory even when things are messy. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for the way that you're leading in each of our lives individually. And I thank you in advance for the ways that you're going to answer this prayer. God, show us your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Let the families say, amen. Amen. God bless you, friends. Merry Christmas to you. Um, again, want to extend an invitation to join us this evening for a supper and social.